Amen. What a great worship service. Thank you, worship team. We're going to just kind of pick up and continue with blessed assurance. And last week we talked about how that uh, sin and, and how that functions in the believer's life and how we can have assurance that if we're wrestling with sin that we are gods. But if we don't wrestle, we may want to do a checkup, right? And uh, so this week we're looking at, at a changed heart as an indication of assurance. And you know the Word of God tells us that uh, we have received a new heart. That the heart of stone has been removed and a heart of flesh has replaced that. In the New Testament it talks about that in terms of new life. Uh, we're a new creature in Christ Jesus, and so our heart has been changed. We're able to love now. I want to tell you a story about one of my friends uh, uh, and his dad. Uh, I had a friend, and he's went on to be with the Lord now. His dad's been dead for, for years. Uh, but he told me about his dad, and his dad was an alcoholic, so we kind of had that in common because... My dad was an alcoholic, and his dad was so bad that he would do just about anything to, to get a drink, just about anything. So these group of guys in New Albany, Mississippi, they, they wanted to have a little fun, and so they told my friend's dad, they said, look, if you'll take this piece of chalk, and if you'll roll it down the center line of uh, Bankhead Street in New Albany, Mississippi with your nose, then we will, we'll give you a fifth of whiskey. And so what did he do? He got out on the center line of Bankhead Street in New Albany, Mississippi with a piece of chalk, and he laid it down, and he began to roll that piece of chalk down the center line with his nose, and the Spirit of God arrested his soul right there on his face. In Bankhead. And so he got up, he didn't even worry about the whiskey, and he went home and he told his family, he said, I'm a new man. Everything has changed. Everything's going to be different around here now. And so he decided that he worked at a sawmill, so he decided he was going to quit the sawmill because he was paid with liquid coin. And so uh, he quit, and the guy that owned the, the sawmill came in, and he had a bottle of whiskey, and he set it on the... My friend said he set it on the mantle over the fireplace. And he told his dad, he said, you'll be back. And my friend said that that bottle of whiskey sat on the mantle of the, over the fireplace until he left home. And Ben Rogers, which was my friend's dad's name, uh, surrendered into the ministry. God called him to preach. He was a new man. He was a changed man. And, uh, and he became one of the most well-known pastors in Union County in New Albany, Mississippi. But he didn't become this well-known pastor because of his past. He became a well-known pastor because of his love. You see, before uh, hospitals had full-time chaplains that would go in and see the people and talk to people, Ben Rogers 
was in and out of the hospitals and the nursing homes and everywhere else. Every day he occupied his time with going and seeing those that were sick and hurting and discouraged and downcast. And he showed them the love of Christ. And then he had this radio broadcast. And he would go on the radio and he would update people. And ask them to pray for folks that were desperately sick and in need of prayer. And on top of that, he preached every week in his church. And the people around New Albany, Mississippi, so loved Ben Rogers because of his love. That they came together and bought him a brand new car so that he could go and visit the sick and the hurting in the community. God changed Ben Rogers' heart. He, he made a new man out of Ben Rogers. And here in 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, it talks about this kind of transforming love. How that God changes our heart and transforms us and, and allows us to love in a way that we have never been able to love before. And so let's look in 1 John chapter 3. And we see how loving the Christian family, why it is such an important aspect of the Christian life. 1 John chapter 3 beginning in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. I could stop there, couldn't I? This is the message that we have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that we have this opportunity just to share from your word this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that we would, we would be more and more and more and more loving. That we would be more and more and more like Jesus. And so, Lord, we, we just realize today if the message of your love is going to come through, then, Lord, you have to speak this morning. So we pray. We give this service to you, and we just ask that you would give liberty and freedom to speak, and Lord, that you would do what only you can do, and we'll give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I want to give you four reasons, I believe, why loving the family is such an important aspect of the Christian life, okay? 
And so, did I say four or did I say three? I'm going to give you three. I had five and I shrunk it, okay, because I knew that I would never get five. I just never would do it. And then I began to work on the three. And I thought, if I don't shrink the three, I'll never get to the three. So there's three reasons, okay? And I have two more tucked away I'll use on you another day, okay? But here they are. The first one is this. Loving the family is commanded by the Father. Loving the family is commanded by the Father. If we look in in verse 11, it says, For this is a message that we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. I mean, this is not a new message, he's saying. He says, this is from the beginning, the very beginning of your faith. The idea of loving one another was in that. I mean, you have heard this from the beginning, and you have heard it week after week, that we should love one another. And we saw this in, in John chapter 1 when it, when it started, chapter 1, 1, 1 John 1, 1, in the beginning. I mean, he who was in the beginning. And so this idea is from the beginning of our faith, we have heard this message of love. And the gospel message is a message of love. It's a message of God's love for us. Now there's also a contrast that's going on between sin and love. Do you remember last week we talked about the idea of sin and we talked about how that uh, sin for the Christians should not be a habit? That our life should not be labeled or marked by sin or marred by sin. Uh, how we should be different. We shouldn't live in habitual sin. Uh, and so it's a contrast that's going on here. We, should, we shouldn't be known for sin. We shouldn't be labeled by our sin. We shouldn't be marked by sin. We should be marked by love. We should be labeled by love. We should be known for our love. Now the root word here is the word agape, and we all know what that means. It's this unconditional love, but it's in the present tense. And so what he's saying is, and what he means is, that our love should be on continuous display. That love should be a natural reaction, our natural reaction to things. And so that is the kind of love that we have been hearing from the beginning, that we are people of love, and it's part of our constant action. The idea that John is portraying is that there is that this is where you find love, is in the family of God. That's where you truly find love. Let me just ask this. The world's looking for that, right? (laughs) I mean, I know that we live in a crazy world. And, And it seems like there's more hatred than there is love. But I want you to know the world is looking for love. And, and what John is saying is it is found in the family of God. That, that our, our fellowship should be marked by that. Our fellowship should be understood by that. that. That's what everyone should see about us is our love for one another. It's this continuous action. Our love is on display. We see this in the teaching of Jesus. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he says this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, 
All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. From the beginning, that has been the message. Paul's teaching is a teaching of love. And I know in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he goes into this elaborate description of what agape love looks like. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 9, he says this. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. What is he saying? God puts that in our hearts. It's a natural reaction of the Christian because of a changed heart. I've told this story, and I know you've probably heard it, but it's a personal testimony, and I always look back on it myself and think, wow, God did that. I grew up, and my father was an alcoholic, and so it kind of put a chip on my shoulder, and so I was always quick to stand up for myself. And uh, usually if somebody... uh, got in my face about something, and I usually got back, okay? And so I never will forget, I, I, I recommitted my life to Christ, and, and all I can explain to you is this feeling of love flooded my soul. That's the only way that I can describe it. And I remember talking to my mother, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to love people. No matter what. I mean, we just got to love people. And so I was backing out of her driveway one day, and she lived between these two hills. And there was plenty of room, you know, between those two hills for folks to see people that's backing out. And so I was backing out of her driveway into the road, and this guy topped the hill, and he's going very fast. And I see him, and I have plenty of time, and I just pull back into the driveway. Well, when he comes by, he lays down on the horn, Womp, womp, womp. And he waves at me, stretches across the car to wave at me with one finger. And so I I know what my natural reaction would have been. I would have run him down and broke that finger that he stuck up at me, okay? But I remember this thought that God put on my heart at that moment. I thought, man. I wonder why his heart is so disrupted that this act has caused him to react that way. And so I stopped and I prayed for that guy before I backed out of the driveway again. Only God can do that in a person's heart. Only God can change a person's view of his fellow man. Only God can change a person's attitude towards Love. And so that's what John's saying. It, we are, Paul saying in 1 Thessalonians there, God teaches us that God changes our heart to a heart of love. And so that is the difference. And John is explaining that love is our clarion call, our distinguishing mark, and our number one characteristic as the children of God. God has commanded us to love. But we're also told here, and we can't miss this, We're also told who we are not to be like, right? Look at what he says in the very next verse. He says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And so he says, this is, this is who you're not supposed to be like. You're not supposed to be like Cain. By the way, this is the only Old Testament or direct 
Old Testament reference in, in the book of 1 John is here to Cain, uh, this reference to Cain. And so the question is, why did he use Cain? I mean, why did he choose for Cain to be the only direct reference in his epistle here? And I believe it's because he is a, a perfect illustration of those that were leading people astray. He's a perfect illustration of those that had been teaching this wrong message to the people of God. And look with me, if you will. Go back up if you, to our text last week and look in verse 10 and listen to what it says. But this, but by, or by this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, which we talked about, sin, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And so obviously those that, that were pulling people away, that were teaching a false teaching, were not very loving in their character. And so they illustrate uh, the same character as Cain had. And so let's just look at a few things about Cain real quickly. First, he states that Cain was of Satan. Now, he wasn't meaning that he was the biological child of Satan, that something else went on besides the temptation in the garden. He's just saying because of his characteristics and his traits, uh, he is like Satan, just as we looked last week, that those that their life was uh, uh, embedded in and they had no concern for the will of God uh, were the children of Satan in the same way Cain was a child of Satan by his actions and his attitudes. He, and Satan, we know, was uh, a master at leading people to reject God's will. And, and so first, uh, he's saying that Cain didn't know the Lord. And, and neither do these that are leading the people away. Second, Cain was a worshiper of God, but not a child of God. We, we know that in the story of Cain and Abel, both of them offered up a sacrifice, but, but Cain's sacrifice was not pleasing to the Lord, and, and Cain knew it. Now, I don't know if God uh, devoured Abel's sacrifice with fire from heaven or water, how he knew it, but he knew that it wasn't right. And, and he went, he was, uh, his countenance changed, and, and God spoke to him, and he said, why has your countenance changed? You know, do what's right. And you'll be accepted. Well, he didn't do what was right. He did the opposite of what was right. And he slew his brother. And so, in the same way, these, these that were making claims in John's day, they were worshiping God, but they didn't know God. Do you know that the devil's not afraid of church? He's not. I mean, he'll come and he'll sit in the pew and he'll play the games and he'll sing the songs. And, but his heart's not towards God. Did you hear the, the story about the devil coming to church? Yeah, the devil walked in the back door of the church and they said, whoo! And all these people, they just scattered and they left the church and there was this one older guy, he just sit there. I mean, it didn't bother him at all and so the devil walked up and he said, sir, do you know who I am? And he said, yes, sir, I do. He said, are you not scared of me? And he said, no, sir, I'm not. I've been married to your sister for 40 years. 
The devil's not afraid of church. I mean, he is the author of false religion. And so he's not afraid of church. And in the same way these in in John's day, they weren't afraid of church. I mean, they worshiped God, but they didn't know God. Cain worshiped God, but he didn't know God. And the third, he'd rather lie and murder than do what was right. His envy turned to hate and his hate turned to murder. And these false teachers, they resembled Cain. But Cain, he also illustrates two realities that we need to keep in mind. Here's the first one. We must be careful of hatred because it is murder in the heart. We need to be careful of hatred because of what it does to our heart. You remember Jesus, he was teaching and he said, If any man looketh at a woman with lust, he committeth adultery in his heart. Now, was, was Jesus saying, and I know a lot of people have took that and just twisted, and they thought, well, I committed adultery because, I mean, it was in my heart anyway, and I might as well commit it as sin. No, come on. What Jesus was saying is that is where adultery starts, is in the heart. That is, we lust And we allow that lust to resonate in the heart and remain in the heart, then it shows itself in adultery. And in the same way, hatred, when hatred is in our hearts and we allow it to resonate there and remain there and stay there, it brings itself out in in actions. And the height of those actions is murder. And so in the same way as adultery or lust is adultery in the heart, hatred is murder in the heart. And so that's how it began. So we have to guard our hearts against hatred. Second, we shouldn't be shocked when the world hates us. Cain hated his brother because he was righteous. The world is going to hate us if we follow Christ. So... Loving the family is commanded by God. Here's the second reason. The second is loving the family is demonstrated by those who have eternal life. Listen to what he says here beginning in verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We see a familiar friend show up here in verse 14, and the term we know is that familiar friend. All through the book of 1 John, we see this we know. Uh, We know that they were not of us, for if they had been of us, then they would have remained with us. But they left from us that it might be made manifest that they were not of us. And so we know this. Uh, We know, we saw in in the earlier chapter, we know that, that no person that lives in sin, that has no regard for God's will, is not a child of God. And here we see this we know show up. Again, and it's triggering the idea that we have assurance because of this evidence. What do we know? 
Well, he says, first of all, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Now, this term, passed out of, relays the idea that we have stepped out of one dominion into another dominion. That, that's interesting, isn't it? We see this in the book of Romans, too. It talks about leaving the, the, the world that Adam created, the dominion of Adam, and stepping into the dominion of Christ, right? Um, Peter talks about the same thing. We've stepped out of darkness into his marvelous light. This idea of out of darkness into light. Here, here in John, he's saying that we have stepped out of death, the dominion of death, into the dominion of life. So we know that we have left one world, one reality, and stepped into another reality, he says. Have you ever thought about salvation that way? Have you ever thought about it that way? That, that this world that we are citizens of at our natural birth is a world that is dominated by death. There's good things in this world. There's pleasures in this world. But, but we learn early in life that this world is filled with death and disappointment and, and violence and hatred and lies. And, and so this is a kingdom of death, a dominion of death, and we react to this world defensively. And uh, so we build a fortress around ourselves so that we don't get hurt. I remember I was talking about when my dad was an alcoholic, now I had a chip on my shoulders. You know what that was? That was a defense mechanism. And that's what we do. We, we live in this world of death, and so we build up these defenses, this fortress around ourselves so that we don't get hurt. And one of those fortresses is we don't love because it hurts too much to love, right? I mean, if we love someone, then they disappoint us. It's too painful. So it's easier not to love. If we love someone and they leave us, it's painful. And so we, we don't love. If we love someone and and they die, which the Bible says it's pointed unto man wants to die, then it's painful. And so we build up these defenses to guard ourselves. And some people, they try to fix this world through pouring themselves into, into it or propagating their version of, the, of a better world. And then others, they just want to dominate it. If you're going to live uh, in the dog pound, then be the top dog, right? And most are just trying to survive this world, this world of death. What the Word of God is telling us is that when we embrace faith in Jesus Christ, we step out of that dominion of death over into the dominion of life. We move. We move into a new country, and the major indicator of that move is that we are set free to love. He's saying we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. He says we know this because we've been changed. We're no longer defensive. We've been set free 
to love one another. Because we're, I, I went to a panel of Chinese pastors that was talking about how it's different there than it is here. And they're willing to sacrifice their life because they know that their church family is their forever family. And if they lose them here, they haven't really lost them. They have all of eternity to enjoy their Christian family. And so they're willing to lay down their lives. And John's saying that we've been set free to love because we've stepped out of the kingdom of death into the kingdom of life. We, we no longer need to react to our environment. We no longer need to fear the separation of death. We no longer build a fortress around us and our possessions because we have a treasure that cannot be destroyed. We can love without limitations because we cannot lose. We are in the dominion of life. And we know because our ability to love has changed. And so it's an indicator. Now there's a warning here. Let me give you a warning. Eternal life is not earned by loving. Eternal life is not earned by loving. Rather, loving is evidence that you have eternal life. You, you can't love. You can't stoke this up. You can't stir this up and love one another and earn eternal life. He's saying that eternal life is evidence. That our, our love is evidence that you have eternal life. Those who have eternal life love their Christian family. Those who do not love live in death. And again, John is putting that everyone in there. Now listen, you remember what we said last week? That everyone is intentional. And he's saying without exclusion, everyone. So he's saying without exclusion, everyone that hates his brother is a murderer in his heart. And then he says, we know that no murderer has eternal life. Now, he's not saying that a person that is murdered can't be forgiven of their sins and become a child of God. But he's saying in the same way, someone that is in the very act of murdering is not going to inherit the kingdom of God, okay? And so this idea of living in this and the attitude that that's okay. That a person that's living in an attitude that's okay to murder, that's okay to hate your brother does not possess the traits of eternal life, is what he's saying. And so, love, loving the family is demonstrated by those who have eternal life. Now, here's the last thought. And again, as always, usually, I save the best for last. Don't you? My brother's weird. He likes to eat the dessert at the beginning of the meal. Is anybody here weird like that? Oh, okay, I see. You know, he, he says he does it because he wants to make sure he gets dessert. Uh, obviously, the best part for him, so he does it first. I, I like my dessert at the end. I like to save the best for last. Well, here's the best for last. Loving the family is exemplified by Jesus Christ. Hmm. Man, I love the way John, well, I say John. You know when I say John, let, let me just say this. When I say John or I say Paul or I say Peter, I always say that in the context of them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Because when I read the Word of God, I'm not looking for Paul's opinion or Peter's opinion or John's opinion. 
I'm looking for what God says. God spoke through John here. And so it's the word of God. I may use John as a reference, but it's the word of God. And here's what God says to us. Listen to what he says in verse 16. 316, isn't it interesting that 316 has some of the, verse 16, chapter 3 has some of the most interesting things. By this we know love. By this we know love. That he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brother. You want to know what love looks like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what our love should look like? Look at Jesus. Amen. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brother. In other words, we don't want to be like Cain that, that killed his brother because he was righteous. We want to be like our Savior that laid down his life for us. The words are being chosen wisely here. Jesus laid down his life. I love that. I love that. It it didn't say that his life was taken, but that Jesus laid down. It's an act of volition. He, He was intentional about laying down his life. No one took his life. He laid down in John chapter 10. He says, no one takes my life, but I lay it down willingly. This commandment I have for my father, both to lay down my life and to take it up again. And so Jesus laid down an act of volition. He did it voluntarily. I'm going to tell you, I love the way John in the garden paints it as Jesus speaks the word and the soldiers are thrown back. I mean, it just gives evidence that if he didn't want to go, he wouldn't have went. Nobody was going to make him, but he voluntarily laid down his life. He did not lay down his life out of sheer obligation. He did it voluntarily. He did it in willing, sacrificial love. He, he gladly put us before his own needs. His love for us was not deserved. It wasn't earned. It, it wasn't even wanted. Yet he put our need above his own. And the Bible says that he became uh, poor. <laughs> the king of glory. The creator of the universe, the one that owns it all, he became poor that we might be made rich through him. We didn't deserve it. We weren't asking for it. We were going in the opposite direction. But he willingly and sacrificial love laid down his life for us. And that is what we are to emulate. We are to live our lives the same way. Uh, Since Jesus laid down his life for us, we should lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We put their needs above our needs, not because they deserve it or they've earned it or even because they want it, but because we love God, love them, and are willing to be broken bread and poured out wine for God's glory. 
That's why we do it. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but of also to the interest of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, have have uh, the mind of Christ Jesus and then it goes into how he left glory and became a man and died on the cross and was exalted. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22 he says this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, in other words from passing from death to life, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly. From a pure heart. We are to love one another because God has changed our heart. We are to love one another as Christ Jesus has loved us. May we so model love within the family of God that others experience the love of Jesus and are moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of life. Amen. Now let's... Wrap it up with a little application, can we? I think at each time that we hear from the Word of God, there should be some things that we look to do, right? There should be some changes that take place in, in our life. There should be some repentance. I, I was talking about the Chinese uh, panel thing that, that I went to. Here was an interesting thing that they said that was different between us and churches in China. When they get locked up, and some of them for one or two years, they don't wallow in their pity. But here's what one of them said. They said they see that as an opportunity to repent of the idols that's in their life. I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? The idols in their life. To turn away from those things that they've exalted above God. And I thought, man, we just don't look at repentance that way. We should be purging our life of of attitudes and actions that don't please God, of of things that try to exalt themselves above God in our life. And, And I think every time that we hear the word of God and every time that God puts something on our heart that that needs to happen in our life, that it should be an attitude of repentance in us, that we're ready to turn from that and turn towards the will of God. Uh, more and more, I, the song we sung, take it all, take it all, my life in your hands. I mean, that should be our hearts, shouldn't it? That, that we, we want God to take every bit of us. So how do we take this message today and and apply it. Let me give you one really, 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 really good way that we can apply this to our life. And it, the, the greatest demonstration of love is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the greatest demonstration of love. When, when you and I share the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
with others. That is the greatest demonstration of love. That's the greatest thing that we could do for any other person is share our experience of Jesus Christ with them. And so often we're hesitant to do that. There's only one thing that is going to move someone from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life, and that is the person of Jesus Christ, a relationship with him, a life-transforming, supernatural relationship with Jesus Christ. Something supernatural happens when you share the gospel. People aren't saved because you're so persuasive. But the Spirit of God ignites the heart and transforms the heart as we share the gospel. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We share that. So so the greatest demonstration is the gospel. Uh, there, There are things that also that we need to think about. There's things that find their way into our lives, right? Even as Christians, that we need to deal with quickly. One of those is mentioned here, and it's hatred, right? Isn't it easy? Isn't it easy to let hatred take root or bitterness take root in our hearts? Somebody can look at us the wrong way, speak to us the wrong way, do the wrong thing, and it's got you. You know what? When we recognize that, it needs to be dealt with quickly because he says that when, when this envy or this hatred resonates in our hearts, that, that it affects our heart and our ability to love. And so certain things that come into our hearts, even as Christians, we need to deal with quickly. Okay? Here's another. It's easy... To become indifferent, unconcerned, apathetic, or to turn inward. And we need to recognize when we do that and we need to repent of that. Right? It's easy to say, hey, somebody else is going to encourage them. Somebody else is going to step up. Or even sometimes we say, hey, it's about time somebody else stepped up and did something. Hmm? And when we realize that we are becoming indifferent, we're turning inward, we're resisting to love, we need to repent of that as sin in our lives and love. Here's the last application thought. It comes in a question, I guess. Have you built a fortress around anything? Have you built a fortress around your life? Have you? That, that keeps you from being hurt. And you built this fortress around your life not to be hurt. And now this fortress feels like a prison. Jesus came to set you free. He came to set you free so that you could love again. So that you could live again. And he laid aside the riches of heaven and became a man willingly suffered at the hands of violent men to pay for our sin and rose again in three days to openly show that he holds the keys to eternal life and he extends that eternal life to everyone through faith. But we have to make the first step. He says that we have stepped. (laughs) I love that. We have stepped. 
out of death into life. And it's just a step. I mean, it really is. It's just a step. Simple faith, simple childlike faith in Jesus is that step. I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm in life. It's a step. Have you made that step? Let's pray. Father, we live in a world that is tainted by sin, that is maimed by sin, that is marked by hatred, selfishness, greed, jealousy, and envy. But Lord, I'm not a citizen of that kingdom anymore. I've stepped from death to life through faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm grateful today because I did not deserve the grace that has been given to me. But Lord, it was given freely by Jesus Christ. And I want to glorify and honor him. And so Lord, I pray that my life would reflect who Jesus is. That my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ would be the resonating theme of my life. That when others see me, they would see a person that loves his spiritual family. And so, Lord, I just repent this morning of those things that hinder me at times and stand in my way and obstruct me from being able to show the love to my family that I need to. And Lord, I pray this morning as people all over the house make different kinds of responses of those things that may have reared their head up in their life that keeps them from being everything that you want them to be. Lord, that you just fill them with your peace this morning. But Lord, I pray especially for one that may be here this morning that's just trying to survive in this world of darkness. They built up fortresses and to protect themselves, and that fortress has become a prison cell. I pray this morning that the love of Jesus would set them free. Lord, that they would step out of the darkness into your marvelous life. That they would begin to experience life with a new heart, with a new view of the world that is only available through Jesus Christ. And so I pray today that you'll just have your will and your way in every heart. We'll give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen.